0: Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or simply catching up on a message you've missed, we are so glad that you're connecting with God's word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at KentwoodCommunityChurch.com. Good morning, everyone. So glad you to join us today. I will ask you to stand out of respect for God's word as we read the scripture together. As a tradition with me and my wife, the congregation you will be following along with me and my wife will repeat the same verse in Spanish. We will be reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. And this is how it starts. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin.
1: Sabemos en efecto que la ley es espiritual, pero yo soy meramente humano y estoy vendido como esclavo al pecado.
0: Verse 15, for I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate.
1: No entiendo lo que me pasa, pues no hago lo que quiero, sino lo que aborrezco.
0: Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good.
1: Ahora bien, si hago lo que no quiero, estoy de acuerdo en que la ley es buena.
0: Verse 17. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me.
1: Pero en ese caso, ya no soy yo quien lo lleva a cabo, sino el pecado que habita en mí.
0: Verse 18. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But there is no ability to do it.
1: Yo sé que en mi, es decir, en mi naturaleza pecaminosa, nada bueno habita, aunque deseo hacer lo bueno, no soy capaz de hacerlo.
0: Verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do.
1: De hecho, no hago el bien que quiero, sino el mal que no quiero.
0: Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me.
1: Y si hago lo que no quiero, ya no soy yo quien lo hace, sino el pecado que habita en mí.
0: 21. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present in me.
1: Así que descubro esta ley, que cuando quiero hacer el bien, me acompaña el mal.
0: 22. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law.
1: 23.
0: But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body.
1: Pero me doy cuenta de que en los miembros de mi cuerpo hay otra ley. Que es la ley del pecado. Esa ley lucha contra la ley de mi mente y me tiene cautivo.
0: Verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death?
1: Soy un pobre miserable. ¿Quién me librará de este cuerpo mortal?
0: And verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself am serving the law of God. But with my flesh, the law of sin.
1: Gracias a Dios por medio de Jesucristo nuestro Señor. En conclusión, con la mente yo mismo me someto a la ley de Dios, pero mi naturaleza pecaminosa está sujeta a la ley del pecado.
0: Amen. Thank you, honey. Can we give a round of applause? Well done. Again, for those in the house, you may be seated. And those online, welcome. We're so glad you are here. I just want to know. Have you been blessed by this previous series that we were in? Wasn't it awesome? (laughs) Learning about heaven, the realities of hell, and the things we have to look forward to in heaven, and the reality that Jesus has went and prepared a place for us, and just understanding that this is not our home, that we have higher expectations, and we are so excited to one day meet him face to face. Amen? It was a blessed time. And I'm so excited to keep this momentum going. I love it when I get the chance to start a new sermon series that we are entering into. This week, we are starting a new sermon series called Living Victoriously. If you don't know, the definition of victorious means having won a victory, expressing a sense of victory or fulfillment, or being the winner of a contest or a struggle. According to Merriam-Webster, victorious is one of the top 5% search words in the dictionary. A lot of people are searching for victory. But church, can I tell you something? We have the ultimate victory. Can I get an amen? We have the ultimate victory. What is this victory that we are celebrating? We are celebrating the victory of Jesus's victory over death. That is something to behold and to celebrate. And what does that victory mean for us as believers? It means no condemnation. It means forgiveness of sins. And it means that we get to celebrate and have eternity with God. Churches that get you excited today that we are able to live victoriously? Oh, you got to do better than that. We're not living like you're being victorious here. Come on, we got to be victorious. Are you victorious for what Jesus has done on the cross for your life? Are you victorious of the blessings that have come because of that? Are you victorious because we will be able to live face-to-face with the triune God? Then church, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Why don't we live that way? (laughs) When I look at the church today, I don't see a lot of victorious living. I see a lot of hopelessness. I see many people leaving in droves away from the faith. I see people throwing away the truth of God for a lie that fits their needs. Church, we need to live better than this. If we on one hand say that we have a victorious lifestyle because of what Jesus has done for us, then why do we not express that day in and day out in our lives? Why aren't people seeing the way that we live and saying that person looks different? That person has victory. There's a pep in their step. They don't see that when they see the church. And why is that? Honestly, I believe many of us don't believe it ourselves. See, logically we understand what the victory means, but in our hearts do we truly grasp that reality? Do we truly understand what it means that we are victorious in Christ? Now don't get me wrong, even though I notice these trends and I see the way that people are living, that doesn't mean that I don't believe that we should seek this victorious lifestyle. As a matter of fact, that is what this sermon series is about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through, through with you the tools that we believe are required for us to live victoriously, the way that Christ has set it up for us to live. What it looks like when we truly live out understanding the sacrifice that God made for us so many years ago. So church, that is what we're going to do today. And I believe the first step for us to truly live victorious is that we have to fully surrender. I believe that many of us do not live victoriously because we have not fully surrendered our lives to God. See, The crazy thing is, is that you can have salvation. You can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that does not guarantee that you are fully surrendering your life to him. You can understand what he has done for you. You can appreciate the sacrifice, but when it comes to our own lives, we can still have barriers that we put up that we do not allow God to come in and intervene. That, my brothers and sisters, is what prevents us from living victoriously. You cannot be fully victorious unless you fully surrender. They go hand in hand. How are we expected to fully grasp the victory that is in Jesus if we still have area in our lives that we will not give up to him? The key is to surrender. Surrender. So we're going to walk through three steps that I believe will guide us to fully surrendering in Christ. But first, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I pray that as we have sang this morning that the Holy Spirit, would you just pour your spirit on us? Will you fall on us, this Holy Spirit fire? Will you rain on us, Lord, and move in us, God, as we talk about things that may make us a little uncomfortable, but, God, we do it because we want to truly live victoriously. We want to truly understand the blessings and the freedom that comes when we understand the sacrifice that you made for us. That is what you call us to do. Not out of arrogance on our part, but understanding your sacrifice. What you did for us because you love us so. So Lord, as we listen to the word today and as we go on throughout this series, may we embrace these tools so that we too can live victoriously for your name and your namesake alone. Bless me in this time, Lord. Help me to speak your truth, and may your words fill our hearts. We love you, Jesus, and ask this all in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So surrendering. The first step is this. Salvation is the beginning, not the end. Salvation is the beginning, it is not the end. What I've noticed a lot throughout my Christian life as I engage with many other Christians is that we kind of have this mindset where all we talk about, we get people, we want to get them to salvation, but we treat it like that is the end game, right? We witness to people, we share the gospel, we invite them to church, we tell them what Jesus has done for them, and then they come to this point and they say, yes, I accept the gospel, I accept what Jesus did, and we leave them alone, We wipe our hands clean, our job is done, we have done what we are supposed to do. We led them to Jesus, right? But I love what Pastor Curtis said a few weeks back. What does the Great Commission say? Say, Go therefore and make disciples, not converts. Somehow we have conflated the two that it means the same thing, that oh, I'm making disciples, I brought them to Jesus, but what are you doing after that? We're not meant to come into a relationship with God and then be left alone. But so often the case, and I saw that growing up myself, it was all about getting people to Jesus and they'll figure out the rest. See, when we do that, we are setting people up to not fully surrender. Because we're giving them the message, you now have all you need, that's it. Now go on and live your life. How do we expect people to live in a way of righteousness when we don't continue to walk alongside them and guide them into that path of surrender? Right? We get this mindset that I've received Christ and that's it. Now I'm done. I'm saved. Now I can go back and live my life the way I want to do because I now have my Jesus card in my back pocket. But that's not what the gospel calls us to. And another thing that we need to realize is that our experience does not guarantee our full surrender. You can have an amazing experience with God, but that does not guarantee that you are going to fully surrender if you do not understand what it requires. You know, I, I think about this in my own personal life. Some of you may know this story about me, some of you may not. My come to Jesus moment, I remember when I was younger, I was, I w- I was the Christian kid in youth group that would come every few months and every single time I would do the altar call at the end because I didn't understand the gospel. You know, they say, hey, you know, you know if, if you've sinned since the last time you've been here and you, know, you want a relationship with Jesus, you know, come to the front and I'd be like, well, you know, yeah. That, I have done some bad things since then, so I'd come up, right? Time and time again, I'm coming up. No one ever stopped me and said, hey, do you actually understand the gospel? You don't have to keep doing this. But I didn't have a relationship with God, not really. I was just doing what felt right. I was doing what I thought was the required thing for me to do because that's all I knew. So I remember one one year I went to a summer camp and it was like the first or second night there And really, I just wanted to go because I wanted to have fun. I wanted to be around other kids. My mom thought it would be good for me. You know, the Christian kids, just go have fun. And they got to the end of the service, and they were saying, okay, we're going to go into a time where we're going to ask people if they want to come to know Jesus, right, an altar call time. And in the back, they had this big buffet of food, like four tables long. And they go, if you want to give your life to Christ, we're going to ask you to come forward. But if not, or you're already a Christian, you can go in the back and start eating. Youth leaders, big mistake, don't do that, okay? Just don't, don't do that, distraction. So here I go, I, I'm beelining it right to the table. Because you know me, I like to eat, all right? People know that, right? So I go, and then I feel this tug on my shirt. I turn around, there's this boy, maybe five or six, maybe seven, he just looks up at me, straight face, he says, come, pray with me. And I'm like, locked in, like I'm like, I can't deny him. And I follow him up to the front. And they were doing it where we would lay down kind of in a row and they would pray over us uh, for salvation, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I laid down and they said, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. And they laid hands on me and I just felt the Holy Spirit rush through me. I felt this warmth. And I remember I got up and I never saw that boy again. The rest of camp. And I was amazed at what was this experience that happened in my life. I didn't understand it at all, what was going on. And I remember the rest of camp, I had an amazing time. I made new friends, got to know other people, and you know what happened when I came back home? Nothing. If you ask any youth leader, anytime they do camps, what is their biggest challenge? How do you keep the same momentum that kids experience at camp when they go back to the real world? And I had that problem because I had no discipleship, I had no guidance, no mentorship. I thought I got Jesus and now I'm good. I didn't understand to fully surrender. So I went back to doing whatever I wanted to do. But I never felt like God wasn't with me after that. No matter what I did, I always felt the Holy Spirit's presence speaking in the back of my mind. Mike, you know you shouldn't do that. Do you wanna follow me? Do you wanna know me? So I was appreciative of that, but I didn't understand the aspect of fully surrendering. But it was because I viewed my salvation as the ending, not the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. That is our mindset we have to shift, church. If we just say, I, need, I receive Jesus and that's it, then we miss out on so much that God has planned for us. He didn't bring you into himself so that you stay right there. He brings you into himself so now we can start moving to where I want you to go. That is the purpose. When I first started becoming a pastor, one of my mentors walked me through a book called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith by Janet Hadberg and Robert Gulick. And in this book, they show this diagram, which is called the stages of faith. which is going to show up on the screen. And he basically says that this is the walking or the path that Christians take in life. So stage one is the life-changing awareness of God, right? That is that moment, that realization of who God is, that he is calling you to himself. Stage two is discipleship or learning. That's when you start to get plugged into a church. Maybe you meet with the pastor, you're asking questions, you're going to Bible study, you're starting to get engaged. And then stage three is the active life. That's when you don't just come on the weekends, but now you're serving. You're actually using your time, talent, and treasures in order to be a blessing to other people. But then you'll notice there's this big, thick line, and he said, this is the wall. And in the book, they say that for the majority of Christians, it seems that this is where their relationship with God stops. And they end up in this, this circle where they go back and forth between phases one and three. So they, and the reason for that is that phase three requires you to fully surrender to go on. When you go on to phase, phase four, that is the inward journey. That is when you're saying, okay, God, what do I need to work on in myself? What do I need to give up to you? What are the idols that I'm holding in my own life? And when we break through that, we get to stage five, which is the journey outward. Now we see that God is using our gifts and abilities, aligning with his purpose, and then stage six is to transform to love. That's when we fully are living out the calling that God has for our lives, but not for ourselves, but for kingdom purposes. And he says, what happens is that we get stuck in this loop. And what happens is a lot of Christians, they get to phase three. And then God's pricking at the things in their lives that he wants to remove. And they say, no, 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 I can't do that. Or tragedy happens in their lives. And they don't understand it. And they blame God. And they walk away. Maybe years later, they get invited to an Easter service or a Christmas Eve service. And then that fire gets lit up again. And they go back to Phase one. Maybe I need to get back into a church, and they go back to phase two, and then they start serving, so on and so forth. But they say, unless you break through that wall, you will never fully surrender to God. As soon as the rubber meets the road, and that tension situation comes up in your life, if you do not look inside and fully surrender, you will walk away. And you may, again, you may have that phase one uh, instance again, but the goal, church, is to break through the wall. That is what God wants of all of us. And if, and if I'm really honest, a lot of the times in the history of the church, we've had a bad reputation of only focusing on the first three. If we're truly honest, all, we, all we've cared about in the past is getting you to know Jesus, getting you into serve, checking the box, and we're done. We've never done the best job of helping people break through that wall and seeing what does God fully have for their lives. But I'm thankful that's not the case here at KCC. And you know, I think just this past week during our staff chapel time, Mick said, and he has said this many a times, that no matter what he implements for us in his staff, his main goal, his first responsibility is to see us thrive in our intimacy with Jesus. Everything else is secondary. And he wishes the same for you as well. I don't care if you volunteer in first impressions if you don't wanna draw deeper to God. It's not about checking a box or meeting a need. Yes, there are things that need to be met, but I want that to come out of your intimacy with God and your willingness to be who he wants you to be. That is the ultimate goal. It's not just to serve and check a box and yes, I'm in the church, but are you growing in your faith? Are you breaking through the wall? Are you going into what God has for you in life? Surrendering allows you to break through that wall. And that is what God wants for us. So the first point, again, salvation is the the beginning, not the end. Point two, stay in your lane. God has a role and so do we. The problem is when we try to do what only God can do. As immature Christians, we default to a works-based faith because that's all we've ever known. We live in a performance-based culture, and we're not saying anything's wrong with that, right? There is the work you put in and the rewards that come from that based on what you do. But that's not the case when it comes to the gospel, and that's what makes it so beautiful. There's nothing that we have done that earns us the grace and mercy that God has given us. It's so countercultural to what we grow up in. So unless we are people walking alongside us in discipleship and fully surrendering, we bring that into our faith. God will not bless me unless I do this. And as I said before, then we flip it on God. If you don't do what I ask you to do, then I'm walking away. It just becomes a contract of two persons when they're getting their needs met. But we have understand our place in this story. That it's not about trying to live up to something that we cannot achieve. It is about understanding who we are and what my role is in this walk with God. My role is to surrender to God and watch what he's going to do, to seek him in prayer and counsel and see what is he requiring of me in my life. The reason we get stuck and we hit that wall is when we bring that performance-based mindset into our relationship with God. Right? Why aren't things going wrong? Well, the gospel must not be true. God must not be who they say he is, or this would not happen to me. God, do you know all the things that I've done for you? Do you know the sacrifices I've made? How dare you not answer my prayer? That is the toxic mindset that creeps into our relationship with God. That does not allow surrender. That puts walls up. God, I'm not going to let you into this area of my life. Look at your track record in the past. Why would I give up these things that bring me joy, that I love to do, whether you think they're wrong or not? But thankfully, Jesus answered us. He gave us what we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us with the Holy Spirit to guide us to surrendering. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and Scripture lets us know who he is in our lives as we work through this aspect of surrender. He is the giver of truth. He is our comforter, he is our guide, and he is our convictor. He is the one who prompts us what areas of our lives we need to release to God, even when we don't realize and we have these blind spots in our spiritual life. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us. But oftentimes, it's when we try to play God that it backfires. We put this pressure on ourselves that I have to live perfect, that I have to do this and that, and the whole time God like, no, will you just sit back and let me do what I'm supposed to do? That is how we get to surrender. And I love the scripture we read uh, in Romans seven because we see in these verses, Paul is realizing this in his testimony. We go back to verse 24, right? What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's realizing he cannot do it himself, right? He's saying, look, the things I wanna do, the good things, I don't do them. And the things I don't wanna do, I end up doing. What is he saying? He's saying he cannot get it done. He cannot reach where he is trying to go on his own through his own works, but he recognizes that because it is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in us and through us. And what does he say in the next verse? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. He recognizes it's only Jesus. (laughs) Thank God I don't have to do these things. See, sometimes we we mix up the, the reality that when we surrender, that actually gives us freedom because we don't have to carry these burdens anymore. Jesus said, bring them to me. Why? Because only he can carry them. How many Christians walk around in life with this weight on their back because they think they have to be the one to solve stuff and all that time, Jesus is right there with his arms open wide saying, give it to me. I never meant for you to carry this. You were supposed to give it to me. I will carry this for you. Surrender it to me. Church, that's freeing. It's freeing when we can say, wow, I don't have to do this in my strength. Because, Lord, I know I can't do it. That is the freedom that comes in Jesus. Surrendering is not bondage, but it is freedom. So oftentimes we think the idea surrender is looked at in a negative connotation, right? That, That you've lost something. But we haven't lost, church. We've won. Surrender because we've won. Stop fighting because we've won. Stop carrying that because we've won. It's not a bondage, it's freedom. And it will be uncomfortable, it will feel awkward, but it is so freeing when you walk in that true surrender with Jesus so that you can do what he has called you to do. The final step is this, understanding the cost. We love to pick and choose what we surrender to God. When we pick and choose, we're actually telling God that we don't trust him or we don't want to know him more. There's something that we keep inside of us that we value more than our relationship with Jesus, if we wanna be blunt. But we have to understand what it costs us to follow God. And the beauty in this is that Jesus never misled us in what it would cost. He didn't sugarcoat or mislead us so that we could say, Jesus, you never told me that it would require this. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 14. Starting at verse 25. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus painted the picture very clearly. Now, he's not saying that you emotionally have to hate them and be angry at them, but he understood that you cannot place them as idols above your relationship with me. Because newsflash, they may not like that you're following me. They may not approve of your relationship with me. So when these situations arise, what are you going to do? Are you going to choose your spouse, your parents, your children, or are you going to choose me? Because you can't have two masters. So what is it gonna be? And we see this all the time in our brothers and sisters who used to be in Islam, who have been isolated from their families for committing shirk. They are being isolated. They are considered enemies. Their family have nothing to do with them. They understand this passage very well. That even though they love their family, those who are closer to them, they will not love them if it means rejecting Jesus. Because a relationship with him is worth so much more we're not meant to live in this tension of picking and choosing. Jesus says, you'll make your decision. Who is it going to be? Me or the rest of the world? And what's amazing, as I was going through this and setting this up, I've never put this together. You know, there's the, we, we always know those, those famous passages, right, where, we, where it talks about, you know, before someone builds a tower, do they not count the cost of what it required to make? Or if a general goes into war, does he not count the cost of the soldiers in the battle plan? But I never realized that this verse comes right after Jesus says these words. Now, we've used that many times in the circles of, you know, financial responsibility and wisdom and having a plan. But when we truly look at the context, Jesus used that example to say, count the cost of what it costs to follow me. He's saying, understand what it takes. Don't just come in blind and say, yeah, I follow you, Jesus. Because it's not going to be a pretty road. But it's worth it. He says, count the cost, not that it's not worth it, but that you understand. So when those trials come, when that, you hit that wall and it's time to fully surrender, you don't look back and say, God, you never told me it was gonna require this. Yes, I did. You will have to hate everything else to follow me. You may have to do that. Some of you may not, you may grow in a Christian family and everyone loves the decision that you're making, but we don't all have that luxury. There's always a requirement of fully surrendering, not having anything else above God, but as long as we keep those idols up high, we limit our relationship with God. We have to understand the cost. Following Jesus costs us everything, but we get Jesus, we get Jesus. It's so. It sounds like it doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense. It will cost you everything, but you get everything in Christ Jesus. I love this quote from Pastor Jackie Hill- Perry. She says, "Our fear of surrender is really our unbelief that God is better than everything God is telling us to give him." You will give God anything when you believe He's everything. It's a hard pill to swallow because we love the convenience of having a relationship with God. And, you know, it's just a reality that, you know, we're going this way in our relationship with God. Everything is good. But then there comes a point. Right? It's easy to follow God where he's telling you to to not do things that you already don't want to do. To give up things that you already don't have an attraction to. You're like, God, we're cool. This Christian thing is easy. But then this happens. You hit that wall. What are you going to do? Are you going to break off or are you going to break through and align with God? That is where true growth happens. Church, that is what we want for every single one of you. We don't just want you coming here on the weekends and worship. We want you to fully surrender your lives to God. Not just say a prayer, but truly say, God, my life is yours. Whatever you want. Relationships you want me to end, they're done. Sins you want me to stop participating in, I'm done. Lifestyles you want me to live, It's on. That is what true surrender looks like. And it's not comfortable, it's not easy, but again, you don't have to do it on your own. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us. So church, we need to rejoice in that. Again, I know it's not easy, but look what's waiting for us on the other side. It's Jesus. I don't want to see any of you hit that wall and step away from the faith In this constant rotation. I want you to break through and see what God has for you. Again, it's uncomfortable. He'll expose things in your life you don't want people to know about. He'll bring words that you don't want to hear, but it's not out of hatred. It's out of love. There are things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Relationships you know you have no business being in. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Are you just saying that you are a follower of Jesus, that you surrender, or do you truly do it? Because God will call you on your bluff. You say you act this way to me, I'm going to put you to the test. Not because I want to call you out, because I want you to truly follow me. I want you to understand what it is that I am giving you. But we have to want it. So what do we do with this? I'm going to invite Brant and the worship team to come out as we go into a time of reflection. This is a time for you to make this decision between you and God. It's not about us knowing what's wrong with you, knowing your ins and outs. God has you here today and online for a reason. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you now for a reason because you know where you're at in this life. You're like, you know what, God, Lord, I've been doing this for decades, this loop going back and forth because there's this one area, God, that I don't want to give to you, but he will not stop pursuing you. You can reject him all you want, but he will continue to bring that up because he loves you. So I'm gonna ask you to stand uh, if you're able. We're gonna go into a time of surrender. Two people today. First, maybe you've never surrendered to God a day in your life. Today is that day. You're saying, you know what? I feel God is calling me to him. I know I was here for a purpose. I wanna make today, I'm gonna surrender my all to Jesus and we will celebrate with you that decision. But then the second person, you've been in a relationship with God months, years, maybe decades, and you know that you have not fully surrendered to God, that you've been hitting that wall, that you have always come into this moment with God where you say, you know what, not there, Lord, and you have stepped away. And it hasn't brought you peace, comfort, this aching feeling all the time that you know, God, this is that thing. I'm gonna ask you to come forward and surrender today too. Make this the day. Don't delay. Why wait? Give it up to him because he is worth it. Surrender all. Do we have any uh, Parks and Rec fans in the house today? (laughs) Uh, You know, there's this this famous scene where Ron Swanson's at this diner and the, the cook comes up to him and he says, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. And as he turns around, he stops at me. He says, wait, I'm worried that what you heard me say is bring me a lot of bacon and eggs. But I said, all the bacon and eggs you have. Church, my fear today is that you heard me say, give up some things to God. It's not what I said. I said today, surrender all to God. Jesus doesn't just want some of you. He wants all of you. He didn't create you for a semi relationship, created you to have complete intimacy with Him. So don't leave anything wavering today. So if you're one of those two people, as we start to sing, I ask you come up front to the altar, so that we can pray with you and that we can celebrate with you, and you can say, Jesus, today is the day that I fully surrender. No more walls. No more live in my way, but I'm truly I'm going to break through. And if you're online, you type in the chat that today you surrender, whether it's the first time or that you something, you need to surrender to God. But let us not miss this moment. Let us take advantage of that so we can walk in the freedom so that we truly can live victoriously in Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your truth and your word. God, we thank you that we can live victoriously because of what you have done on the cross, not because of us, wretched sinners are we, but yet you died for us when we still hated you. And God, because of that sacrifice, we can live victoriously, but the reality is so many of us, we don't do it. We live in fear, we live in bondage, we live in lies, all because we don't wanna surrender to you, not fully. We wanna pick and choose. We want to surrender the things that we're okay with, but we hold tight the idols in our lives. God, I pray that you break that this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you remove those idols, Lord, that as I'm speaking, God, I know people are feeling the prompts. They know what it is they're struggling with. It is coming to their mind because you are calling it out of them, Lord Jesus. May they experience freedom and healing today. May they fully surrender to you, and say, no more of this wishwash Christianity, but I am all in, Father God. Lord, that's what we want to see them. We don't just want them coming here on the weekends and volunteering, looking good on the outside. No, Lord, what is your heart like? What is your relationship with Jesus? That's what we want to flourish more than anything. Is that they know you more. So, Lord, I already know you know what's going to happen today. You know what you're going to do. I pray for these people, God that they can experience the joy and freedom that comes and surrendering to you. The weightlessness, the burden is lifted. So Lord, as we go into this time of surrendering, will you just bless those who are coming forward and those online. Help us to experience the true freedom in you today and may today be that point where we can live the rest of our days in full surrender and victorious in you. We thank you, Jesus. We love you and ask all of this in your mighty name.